Shut up and sit down. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. Welcome to 2019, and welcome to episode 64 of the Quiet Part Loud podcast. I'm Daryl, and I'm your host as always, and it's good to be back. It's good to have you guys here. Um, You know, new year, new you, new me, new all that shit, right? All the hashtags are coming out and and everything, so... uh, Yeah, welcome to the month of clogged up gyms, unfounded motivation, and uh, broken promises is basically what I consider January to be. But uh, but never mind, we'll get into that uh, the New Year trends uh, a little later on. But uh, but how was how was your Christmas, guys? Uh, Did you guys have a good time? Spend it with family on your own? It's a quiet one. Did you say fuck it and do a Christmas with the cranks and go out to some tropical island? Um, You know. Whatever Christmas is, whatever the holiday season is for you, um, I hope it was a good one, and I hope you had a good, safe New Year's as well. Um, Very low-key for me. Uh, It was my wife and I with our dogs, and we basically just kept it to ourselves, kept it in the house, um, kept it quiet, but kept it, you know, really lovely. And uh, and it was just what we wanted, and just what we just what we needed after you know our our sort of tropical holiday that we had the week before, uh, where we were in Cape Verde, and I mentioned that on the podcast before, so we won't really go into that. Um, But. You know, it was just one of those things where we got back, dove straight into Christmas, got the tree up. It was all a bit piecemeal. Um, It was a lovely time, but I didn't feel like it had the actual Christmas spirit. One, it was warm. Two, it was when it wasn't warm, it was raining. You know, so there was no kind of atmosphere. I feel like London embraced the commercial aspect of Christmas more than anything else this year. There was there was very little festivities in my opinion and you know you kind of need I feel like you kind of need that cold weather to make Christmas what it is um or what it's supposed to be or the, or the kind of t- traditional you know vibes of Christmas, you know, it's it's by the fireplace isn't it? It's you know, it's cuddle up on a on the sofa watching a movie and things like that. But when it's like 11 degrees outside and it's still warm and I'm going to the shop in a sweatshirt, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel the same. And especially when you've come back from a tropical Island where it's been 30 degrees, you know, for, for two weeks, it, uh, it doesn't really, it doesn't really gel into a Christmas spirit in the traditional form, but I was still, you know, merry on my way and listening to all the Christmas carols, and we did end up watching all of the Christmas movies as we always do. Um, but nevertheless, despite that kind of nostalgic atmosphere, you know, being absent, it was a lovely Christmas, and what turned into a lovely New Year, and what has started out and I know we're very early in so I don't want to jinx it but you know the first three days of of the new year of 2019 have have started really really well um but I just want to kind of off the top I want to kind of not brag but I guess a little bit like my wife bought me um she bought me a big keyboard for Christmas and that's off the back of me saying that you know one of the things that I want to do is you know I've always wanted to learn how to play the piano but you know, growing up in the in the kind of situation that I grew up in, that was not really something that was thrust upon me as an option. There was never there was never any 
kind of guiding light to say, you know, you should explore this and you should, it's really valuable to learn a, a musical, a musical instrument. And it's, it's super um, valuable to know multiple languages and, you know, and, you know, being familiar with the arts and culture and all, there was none of that. So it was never like, I have a, my granddad before he passed and I have an uncle and they both play the guitar. And my granddad tried for about, you know, 20 minutes to teach me how to play the guitar it wasn't something I really vibed with, but learning the piano has always been one of those bucket list accomplishments that, that I've had. And I mentioned it to her, to my wife and she came through, man, and she got me this sweet little keyboard. Um, it's not a full 88 keys. It's like 60 keys or something like that, but it definitely does the trick. And so I've been wailing around and learning the notes and the chords and everything like that. And the reason I bring it up is is kind of in relation to the whole new year, new me, new you kind of vibe, right? That people get into. And it's always the same shit, right? I want to, my new year's resolution is to lose weight or is to work out more, is to drink less or to stop smoking or, you know, all that kind of thing. And it's always about the, just that, that bullet point of like, res there's no thought put into it is what I'm saying. And okay, maybe if I was a fat, lazy fuck, then exercising and eating better would be top of the priority list. But I kind of got that done in terms of a lifestyle. Like I already, you know, I talk about it on the show. I fucking work out five days a week. I eat pretty healthy. Um, you know, I don't drink excessively. So like from that point of view, the lifestyle point of view, you know, in terms of health and nutrition and exercise and well-being, like that stuff, there's always work to be done and there's always improvements to be made, but I've kind of got that locked in. I'm kind of dialed in on that point, right? So I thought to myself, well, I don't like New Year's resolutions. I, like, I don't like them in principle because I feel like if you put, it's the whole thing, like I'm going to quit smoking on the 1st of January. It's like, well, why don't you just quit now? Ah, uh, well, I got a Christmas party to go to. Oh, so you lack the resolve and the actual commitment. So you need this marker. And if that works for you, then great. But without having like actual stats that I don't think can actually be compiled on something like this, I would say the success rate for a New Year's resolution lasting more than a month is probably in the single digits, right? Like I've already noticed my gym over the past three days is starting to fill up and I'm in there at 4.45 in the morning, right? So I go there at quarter to five, uh, quarter to five in the morning, the sun's up, God's still sleeping, you know, fucking nobody's awake except the truck drivers. Um, and about four people that go into the gym. Well, all of a sudden I get there this morning and there's like seven people there. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And then by the time I'm done at like 6.30, right? Because I go for about an hour and a half, so on, you know, something like that. By about 6.30, the place was just rammed. And God bless them all. Like, if you want to get yourself healthy and you want to make a change in your life, I think that is phenomenal. I preach that all the time. But... It's about adherence, right? We talk about this on the podcast. We talked about this a few episodes ago. Just in terms of like adherence to a process is much more likely if you enjoy that process. And I just feel like putting a stamp on it like January 1st, that's my day. It's like, well, that's everybody's fucking day. So 
what are you actually doing this for? Are you actually doing this because you just want to put hashtag new year, new me? Or hashtag, you know, do you like the hashtag more than you like the actual the actual process and adhering to the process? Do you like just being able to post something on social media and then, you know, two months later, you know, it's, it's going to be like hashtag new year, new me. And it's going to be them holding like a smoothie in the gym, fucking like ready to go. And then in March, they'll have, you know, a picture of themselves shit faced and it'll be hashtag YOLO. Right. And all the New Year's resolutions have gone out the fucking window. And that's why I just say like adherence to the process is so important because you have to find something that is, you have to find something that you actually want to do and not do it just because you think you should. Now, if you think you should do it, then you definitely should do it, you know, in terms of health and well-being and everything like that. But don't do it for the hashtag, right? Don't do it just to be part of the crew, right? Like, don't, like, why do we just do, uh, what is it, Movember for prostate cancer? Why is that just a fucking November thing? And why is it associated just with putting mustaches, like growing a mustache out? Like, these things should be sustained all the way through. Like, I hate these specific things that have to be done on a specific day. And I say that talking about how much I enjoy Christmas, right? Fucking contradictory, <laughs> contradiction of, uh, of the day there. But do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like people just like, like January 1st, it's like wipe the slate clean. It's like, that's not how it works. An arbitrary day of a month is not going to be the catalyst to making sure that you adhere to a process of living a better version of yourself. That's going to come from within. And that might happen on the 4th of June. That might happen on the 30th of October. That might happen on the 2nd of May. It doesn't necessarily have to be the 1st of January. And as we will see around us over the next few weeks, all of these resolutions will start dropping off. Dry January. People will slip and say, oh, well, I just had one cocktail, you know, and it's like, well, you fucked up then, right? You fucked up. You didn't adhere to the process. And the reason you didn't adhere to the process because you wasn't, you weren't truly committed to the process. You have to find something that you know is going to fit your lifestyle and that you could adhere to. Because if you break a promise to yourself, it is just going to lead to a despondent attitude in most people. It's going to lead to a despondent attitude that kills any future motivation to get back on the horse. But if you set sensible goals that are smart and specific to things that you want to do, then you can hold yourself accountable to those things because they're not, and we've talked about this before, they're not militant. It's disciplined, but it's not militant. And that's where people go wrong. They say, January 1st, fucking at the gym, let's get it. And, you know, they'll go and they'll do three sessions and they'll be sore as fuck and then they'll skip a week and then they'll do another two sessions. And then they'll realize, oh, what the fuck did I do this for? I wasn't actually committed to doing this in the first place. And then they fall off the wagon. And then a sense of disappointment or, you know, quiet failure creeps in and, and, and that's it for them. They're done. Rather than just saying, you know what I want to do? I want to start working out and I don't give a fuck when it is. I want to start right now. I want to start eating healthy. I want to be, I want to be more clean in my body and what I put into my body and how my body responds to me. I want to be, I want to be healthier. I want to be a better version of myself. I want to, I want to have more energy. I want to have a more positive outlook on life. I want to be more, you know, more attentive to my wife or more, you know, more compassionate to people I see on the street or whatever it is. 
that starts the moment you have that epiphany because it's in the moment that you have the epiphany when the feeling is so is strongest right because that's what you're doing you're having an epiphany you're having this overwhelming feel and this sense of needing to do something needing to accomplish something right it's not arbitrary right it's not like new year's resolutions are like august 13th right like no it's just jan 1 right? It's 0101 new year, right? That's it. And people jump on this thing like it means something. The opportunity of a lifetime is only good in the lifetime of that opportunity. And that's your epiphany moment. So if you have an epiphany about wanting to change something, action it then. Don't wait. Because most people make their new year resolutions three weeks before new year's. Right? It's like middle of December when they're at their second or third Christmas party or they're out with clients for drinks and they're feeling a bit like, oh, worse for wear. And they're like, you know what? I feel like dog shit. January 1st, I'm fucking getting it sorted. Right? And by January 15th, they're like, what am I doing? I can't do this. Because they never intended to do it in the first place. It's a consequence of a response generated by the mass that they latch on to to think that there's something there that they can achieve from that. And I'm not saying that it's a failure across the board because some people do adhere to their, you know, New Year's resolutions and some people do take that as like a starting point and I'm not going to fail, but for the most part, they don't. So I'm just saying, if you've made a New Year's resolution and we're three days in, if you've broken it already, well, (laughs) okay, good try. But If you break it at some point, rather than being disappointed in yourself, just have a look at what it was that you said you were going to be resolved to do. What was your resolution? Why did you make it? And why, more importantly, did you fail? And most likely it's going to be because you set a goal that was a little bit unrealistic and something that ultimately, if you would have asked yourself, like three months before, if that was a sensible resolution, you'd probably sit back with a little bit more uh, perspective on it and say, nah, maybe I'll dial it back. But everybody's like, fucking, I feel like shit in December. I'm going to get it right in January and that'll be it. I'm setting myself on a path. And the underlying attitude to that is a good one, right? It's one of motivation. It's one of improvement. It's one of self-awareness and that's great. But it's also about being realistic, realistic to the process of adherence. Because if you don't have a process that you can adhere to, you will not see it through and you will not ultimately get the benefit and the results that you're looking for. So don't look at your New Year's resolutions as a failure. Look at them as ill-timed. Reflect back, reassess, have some nuance and some context in your approach on how you do that assessment readjust those goals and go forward and go get them again. And that doesn't matter if that happens on, like I said, the 12th of March or the 7th of April. It doesn't matter. Just get it done, but get it done in a way that's going to work for you that you can maintain so that it doesn't become a resolution. It becomes a lifestyle and it's something that then becomes non-negotiable. Because when you put things in your life that are non-negotiable, that means you are setting priorities for yourself that are going to lead you down the path to a better version of yourself. And once you see those results take shape and take a hold of you, whatever they may be, you are a lot less likely to give them up 
or to let somebody come in or something come in to negotiate you out of doing those things, right? Like I've said before, exercise in the morning is non-negotiable. People say to me, why do you get up so early? Like, why don't you just go in the evening? Because the evening doesn't work for me. One, because I don't like being around people in the gym. Because most people that go to the gym, sorry to say, anybody that's listening to me, to, to, to this out there, most people, most people in the gym are fucking douchebags. Let's put it that way, right? They are self-absorbed. They are unattentive. They are unqualified to be training themselves. Um, they're oftentimes a danger. Um, they have an attitude. They stare at you like it's fucking insane. Nothing, nothing is, nothing is less appealing to me than a packed gym or a busy gym. Nothing. And when I have the means to do so, I will create my own facility that is private to me because. The gym is not a social place for me. It's a social place for a lot of people. And I know a lot of people at my gym and everything like that. And I have a chat with them here and there. But the gym is not social hour for me. It's an hour of dogged determination, focus, and strain, right? Like it's not, there's nothing fun about lifting a whole bunch of weight a whole bunch of times and feeling really, really sore afterwards except for the fact that you're making yourself stronger, you're making yourself feel better, you're making your attitude better, you're making yourself more calm, you're making yourself aesthetically more pleasing to yourself and to others. But I enjoy that process of pain. I enjoy that process of struggle. I enjoy that process of being winded and feeling like I'm gonna throw up and sweating all over the place. I love that shit, but a lot of people don't. You gotta learn to love the process. That's why I go to the gym. I don't go to the gym to talk to fucking this guy and this guy about what he's doing in his workout routine or what this guy's doing on his plan or what this guy's doing on the weekend or any of that shit. There's a couple of people that I'll have that interaction with, but other than that, not interested. I'm not interested. I don't need a huge circle of friends. I don't want one. And I certainly don't want it at four in the morning or five in the morning or six in the morning when I'm there to do work. So <clears throat> long rant, right? Almost 20 minutes in. And my point is, you gotta find something that you're actually passionate about either achieving or getting rid of. But that can happen at any point in time during the year. That has nothing to do with January 1st and a new year, new you, hashtag resolution is ultimately bullshit. And it's, I think it's made for fakers, if I'm being completely honest with you. Because I've made New Year's resolutions in my life, and I've never fucking stuck to one of them. I've never stuck to one of them. Why? Because they were arbitrarily made to suit a date and to suit a common societal structure that people say, it's the new year, fucking brand new start. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. So when you have that epiphany moment of something that you want to do that's going to improve your life in some way, shape, or form, do it then. Don't wait. Do it then. Because like I said before, the opportunity of a lifetime is only 
relevant, it's only valid, and it only lasts for the lifetime of that opportunity. So you have to act when you realize it. You have to act when you think about it. Write that shit down so you don't forget about it. But whatever it is, make sure that you can adhere to it. Because there's no point saying you want to step on stage in a bodybuilding competition if you're 15 stone, if you're five stone overweight and you haven't been to the gym in 15 years. Do you know what I'm saying? Be realistic with yourself. Because once you hit these miniature goals or these smaller goals, all of a sudden what you do is you will add those up and before you know it, you'll be at the big goal, right? But break it down, break it down, be systematic with it. But be systematic to the point of your ability to adhere to each one of those goals. That's all I'm saying. So going back to the original point, my wife bought me a big ass keyboard for Christmas and I stated, uh, you know, months ago that I was interested and I think next year is going to be the year where I learn a, a musical instrument and if it was going to be any musical instrument, I would like it to be the piano because I love the piano um, and like I said, it's always been something that I wanted to do. So she came through and I have been non-stop since Christmas Day. I think yesterday was the only day I didn't oh no even yesterday I did even yesterday I had uh, 20 minutes on the keyboard um and like I said I'm terrible right I clearly obviously I am terrible but this is something that I've wanted to do forever I knew it would be hard I know I don't have a natural affinity to be musical so it's going to be hard work just like I don't have you know, gifted athletic genes, anything that I've done, I've had to work my ass off for in terms of, you know, sports or any of that sort of thing. I know it's going to be hard. That's what I'm excited about. That's what's going to make me adhere to the process of learning the piano, but not learning the piano with someone else. I'm learning on my own. Now, I will obviously go to YouTube and I will find some tutorials and things like that. But ultimately, I'm going to teach myself how to play this with some guidance online and things like that. But I'm not going to go to a musical teacher or anything like that, have lessons. I'm going to teach myself how to play. And so far, I've got a little bit of John Legend, um, All of Me. I've got a little bit of Fur Elise. I've got a little bit of Moonlight Sonata. I've got some um, Halloween chords that I can play, some Alfred Hitchcocky type of stuff. Um, yeah, so it's coming along and I absolutely love it. And it's so hard. Like I'll play for 15 minutes and my arm will cramp up or my fingers will cramp up, right? Because I don't have any dexterity in my fingers like a like an accomplished piano player does, right? I am a newbie, I'm a fucking beginner. But it's a difficult task that I am not only committed to doing, but also I see having transitory benefits in other areas of my life. So the other things that I want to do in 2019, and we're going to go on like this for, you know, for a couple minutes now. The other thing that I want to do is learn Portuguese. So they say if you learn a musical instrument and you learn a language, they can help each other because it's rhythmic and it's, you know, it's, it's timings and things like that. I don't know anything about that. I'm still learning. But the other thing that I want to do is learn Portuguese. And there's a few reasons for that. One, my wife is Portuguese. She speaks English, but... I think keeping a second language alive in the household 
Whereas a few years ago, I was very ignorant to the Portuguese language. And I was like, yeah, it's a dead language. You know, probably heard some fucking guy say it online. Um, and I was like, oh, it's a dead language. You know, nobody's going to need that shit. I was so wrong because Portuguese is not only a beautiful language, but it's the language of my family, right? Like my wife's family is my family. So when we were in uh, Cape Verde, we had a day, and I think I mentioned this, we had a day on either side of our trip to the island that was um, in Lisbon, in Portugal. And we would have dinner with my wife's family, and they all speak Portuguese, obviously. But they all accommodated me. Because they knew I can't, they know that I cannot speak Portuguese. So they know that if they want to include me in the conversation, that they all have to go to their second language to say a few words to me so I can respond to them and feel encouraged and feel like I'm part of the conversation, part of the family, etc. And I think that's so kind of them and so generous of them that they do that and that they've taken that upon themselves. I've never asked them to do that, obviously. Like, they just, they do that. Um, and I just think that's so kind and, and, and really sweet. But also, on the other hand, I was like, well, it's really kind of... It's not ignorant, but it's kind of rude. Like, like, I shouldn't expect them to dip into their second language to accommodate one person when I'm one of 10 people around a table. It should be me that's accommodating them. I'm coming to their place where they live. I'm coming to interact with them as a family. The, only, the, the least I could do is learn their language so I can communicate with them on their own terms. So that they can have a more fluid version of communication and they can, the communication can flow more freely because they're all Portuguese and then they have to break and they have to say, how do you say, uh, you know, or, uh, you know, and it's like, you can tell that they're struggling and, and I love them for it. But I thought, well, it would be so cool if I could go back there next year with some semi-fluid communication skills in Portuguese. So... Piano's number one, learning Portuguese is number two, and the third one, see, I'm adding, I'm not giving shit up, I'm adding things. I wanna make myself a better person by adding things that are difficult that I don't know how to do, and that I can get my teeth into and, and, and acquire a new skill. So there's a musical instrument, a language, and the third one, the third thing that I wanna accomplish in 2019 is I wanna learn how to salsa dance. And again, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. We obviously took this trip to Cape Verde, and next year I want to go to Cuba. And I just thought to myself, what bigger pimp move would there be than taking a trip to Cuba, going into a bar in Havana, being able to play some salsa music on the piano, and then being able to get up, take my wife and dance with her to some Cuban salsa music or Cuban music like a fucking pimp, right? Like that would be so fucking dope to me. That would be so dope to me to be able to go in there, sit on a piano and be like, ding, 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 whatever the fuck I played, right? And then get up, grab my wife and go and dance some salsa in Havana, Cuba. So if I can get that done by December of this year, 
I'm gonna be very, very happy. I'm gonna be a very happy man. And I'll have added three new, quite impressive skills to my repertoire, I think. You know, if I could, if I could become somewhat literate on the piano, somewhat literate in Portuguese and somewhat literate in, you know, in salsa dancing, I'd say that's a pretty good fucking year, you know, and keeping up with all the shit that I'm doing now, because I got some little sub goals as well in there. <clears throat> One of them is to ramp up what we're doing on this podcast, adding the video into it. Like I said, we were going to, um, and I'm still working out some logistics on that, but, um, adding video into it, but also the frequency of it. I want to be, we're at episode 64 right now, and I want to be at a hundred by the end of March. Fucking hard, right? That's a lot. That's like, what is that? 36 episodes in 90 days. So it's basically an episode every three days. So there's a good chance you guys are going to be hearing a whole lot more of me. All right. So there's some things like that that I'm working on. It's not necessarily about taking stuff away. Sometimes it's about adding stuff. Sometimes it's definitely about taking away right? Things that you need to remove from your life, right? A lot of people say 2019, that's going to be the year of no negativity and all negative people are out of my life and see you later and see you later. And you know, okay, we'll see. We'll see. And if you do that, I think that's great. And I think that's super positive. Whatever you can do, right? Whatever you can do and whatever you can adhere to. What I know about myself personally is if I give myself one thing to do, I probably won't do it. I need to have multiple shit on the go. I need to have all kinds of shit going on that keeps me super busy and super focused. Because if I get a minute, I'll do nothing. And I'll turn that minute of nothing into an hour of nothing. And I know that about myself, so I keep myself busy. I wake up at 4.30 in the morning to start my day, and it usually ends at 11 p.m. Right? I'm fucking busy. But I love it. I love it. And now, got to add in Daily piano practice, daily language practice, and I got to figure out where the hell I'm going to learn how to salsa dance. So I've got shit to do, right? That's in the sphere of me. That's in the sphere of the sphere of my kind of personal development and my my self actualization, right? But there's some other shit that we got to deal with. It's called reality, right? It's called reality. It's called oh. There's other shit going on in the world. Oh, there's things out of your control that still are going to fuck with you on a daily basis, right? So you got to you gotta deal with these things as well. We got this Brexit thing coming up. And it's really, it's really interesting to me because like the government have recent rele- recently released a instruction guide for how... EU citizens living in the UK apply for settled status. And this applies to my wife because she's born in Lisbon. She's lived here for, what, 20 years now? Yet she still is not naturalized, so she's going to have to go through the process of being settled. So I've already got all the documentation and the links to the site and everything that I'm going to give to her, but I just thought to myself, well... We're on this super positive train right now, and this is gonna this is gonna knock her back. It's gonna make her feel a bit anxious and a bit worried about what the future holds and things like that. Even though it'll be fine, right? She runs a business. She employs nine people. 
She's been here for 20 years. She's never missed a tax payment. She's never done anything criminal. Like she, she is the atypical type of person that you would want to be a citizen in, in your country, right? But I know her and I know it's going to cause all this anxiety and, and worry and things like that. But also I'm like, well, let me just keep a hold of it now and give it to her maybe next week. But why the fuck are they even releasing this if they haven't even secured a Brexit, no deal or deal Brexit, or a second referendum? Like, no determination's been made, yet they're saying that the deadline for this, or it's going to fully open on the 30th of March or something like that. And I'm like, well, you don't even know what's going to happen by then. Like, this thing is in such shambles that how can you be putting a process in place for something that you haven't even, like, authorized yet? Like, there's no definitive terms on Brexit. So how can you be making, how can you be putting processes in place that affect potential citizenry if you don't even know what the outcome of the whole Brexit thing is going to be anyways? It really fucking pissed me off, but I'm glad that I saw it because nobody is, nobody is uh, volunteering this information, right? You don't hear shit about anything to do with Brexit and it's a joke. It, it is, it is incompetence. And it's actual just, like, is, is malpractice even the right word? Like, it's it's a complete, it's a complete joke how this whole process is being handled. And they're lucky that this ran into Christmas because people kind of parked it and didn't want to talk about it, didn't want to hear about it. But guess what? It's getting ramped back up. And it's important that we talk about it because nobody's talking about it. You hear all this shit on the news, Brexit this, Brexit that, and all they show is parliament. People fighting in parliament. Nobody is giving you any information about what your future holds on this side of Brexit, on this side of Brexit, or if a second referendum happens. Nobody is saying anything. <clears throat> so, I'm... Um, really lucky that I was just on Twitter when I saw um, this tweet go out that said uh, for anybody in the, you know, anybody that's an EU citizen living in England, um, here's how you, this is what you need to know if you're going to, if you're planning on staying or something like that. And I'm just like, why is this not being broadcast? Like the fact that the BBC hasn't set up like a, like a Brexit channel is fucking ridiculous or like a Brexit hub or something like that where all the information is there. Like, I just don't understand the incompetence of these politicians, like absolute incompetence of these politicians and nobody holds them to account for anything because if I was like this in my job, I'd be sacked. If I was this incompetent, I would be sacked and deservedly so because in what other realm of society do we put up with this amount of incompetence? It seems like all of these politicians and shit get a pass day after day after day with zero accountability. Unless you fuck around with your expenses and get caught for it, you're basically, you're basically Teflon. Like, not a lot of shit happens to these guys. But they don't do anything. 
They don't do anything. This Matthew Pennycook guy that fucking is the MP for Greenwich, he's a fucking loser. He is a fucking loser. I wrote to him about a woman being attacked with a machete 600 yards from my house and didn't even get a fucking response from this guy. He gets paid off of my taxes. And this motherfucker can't reply to an email or get one of his flunkies to reply to an email? I swear to God, I'm like, I'm literally teetering on whether or not I want to pack in all my like additional resolutions this year and start running for office and start getting into politics because I'm so sick and tired of these fucking halfwits and these bags of meat in suits that just need to be retired and put out to pasture and have a new wave of different kind of thinking people come into this government and actually do something. And, and people out there are like, well, wrong accent for government. No, 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 I'm British. If I wanted to run for office in this country, I would absolutely have the right to do so. But I don't think people want to hear my kind of discourse because I'm, it's very harsh, as I'm sure you're aware by listening to the show. I don't mince my words. And I'm very, very big on accountability. But, you know, that saying, if they did a background check on me, they'd be like, oh, well, this guy used to fucking deal drugs and blah, blah, blah. We can't have him in there. You know, he's, you know, oh, a seedy character, you know, something would come up. They dig something out, I'm sure. But I'm so fed up. I'm so fed up of this incompetence. And I think, I think, I think 2019 needs to be, be truly be a year of accountability where everybody gets called out on their bullshit, no matter how big or how small you have to be called out on your bullshit. If you say something that is factually inaccurate, you need to be called on it. If you're just making shit up, you need to be called on it. If you're being an ignorant prick to somebody else, you need to be called on it. If you're being rude and inconsiderate to somebody who is, you know, less able than you or less fortunate, you need to be called and you need to be put on blast for it. It's the same with our politicians. They need to be called out on it. And this is across the board, right? Because I'm like, well, we can't have the conservative party running anything anymore. But then I look across the aisle and I see Jeremy Corbyn's stupid fucking face sitting there who I once was a bit of a fan of, but I'm not anymore because this motherfucker's got a no confidence vote against Theresa May. But he's like, oh, you know what we'll do if we get into power, we'll just go back to the EU and we'll renegotiate. We're still doing Brexit, but we'll, rene we'll renegotiate a better deal. Oh, will you? So you're not listening to the people either. Because I am actually talking to people actively about this. And I look for Brexiteers. I look for people that voted to leave. Because it's them that I want to talk to. It's them that I want to understand why they voted the way they voted in the first place. And would they vote the same way if given the opportunity to vote again? Overwhelmingly, they say they would not vote to leave anymore. And that it was a foolhardy decision that was based on lies, misinformation, and a lack of transparency of what the future actually holded under a situation such as Brexit. Alarmingly so is the majority of people that I've spoken to who have voted to leave. 
You cannot fuck people over and expect to have a good go of it. This was based on lies and manipulation about facts. You're going to get 350 million pounds a week back for the NHS because that's what we pay the EU. We're going to close down the borders. You're going to have a fucking, you're going to have a, you're going to have control of the movement of the citizens that enter the country or the people that enter the country, I should say. Oh, okay, cool. Because guess what's happened? In the last month, 200 people have washed up on the shores of Kent, which is about 30 miles from my house, coming from France. So take a guess of what you think. What do you think's happening? What do you think's happening? Because we didn't have this before, right? We didn't have this before, but Brexit is supposed to lead us to a place where we can control our borders better, right? But you fuck off your counterparts across the channel and guess what they're going to do? They're going to say, ah, there you go. It's 30 miles that way. Just keep rowing and you'll hit a little island called Britain. We'll let them deal with you. We'll let them deal with you. November saw 235 people wash up on the British shores. Never happened before. Never happened before. So you tell me how Brexit is going to control immigration coming into this country or illegal immigration or refugees or asylum seekers. However you want to fucking name and shame them, call them, blame them. However, the point of the matter is 235 people have never come up on the shores of England unannounced, unprocessed, undocumented before November. Right around the time when Brexit negotiations were falling to bits. Now, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist to say the French government are putting people on boats and sending them over here, but I also don't want to be naive enough to say that they're not and also don't want to be naive enough to say that they wouldn't look the other way. Why else would you have an influx of dinghies showing up on the fucking shores of Kent and all up the east coast of England? Somebody else explain it to me. What, they're just slipping through now because there's so many of them? Get fucked. Not having it for a minute. Not having it for a minute. This is a consequence of Brexit and the fallout of Brexit. And this will only continue. Because it's no longer in the EU's interest to stop them coming over here. As long as they're not there. As long as the refugees are not there. Send them somewhere else. And they're not going to send them to one of their neighboring countries that are in the EU because it will further damage the single market that they're trying to maintain. <clears throat> but I find it curious to see such, a, such a, an increase in the amount of people that just happen to find our island. 30 miles in a dinghy from France in the dark. Head towards the White Cliffs of Dover. You'll be there in a day. Nobody's patrolling the French shores or the international waters. What the fuck is going on? Brexit. 350 million a week back from the NHS. Oh, that was a lie. Sorry, they told us that the day after the vote. Oh, well, at least we'll be able to keep our jobs and get our jobs because we'll have, you know, control of our borders and people won't be able to just come in willy nilly and claim benefits and get on the NHS and suck our system dry. Oh, yeah. You think that's how it works? 
by isolating yourself, you fucking halfwits. We live in a global world. You need your neighbors, you need alliances, you need packs, and you need community. Global community. <coughs> now, we want to be a sovereign nation. We want to have control over our own laws. Like what? Like what? One of the, like, if not the ranking member, one of t the top two ranking members in the EU was the UK. Well, we didn't have any um, elected officials representing our interests in Brussels. Okay, we'll change the fucking process then. Don't drive a Trojan horse into it full of explosives and just blow the whole fucking thing up. That doesn't make any sense. Because like I said before, how many people out there remember the UK outside of the EU? Not many. And the ones that do are going to die soon. They don't live in the same world that we live in. They don't have the same mentality that we live in. The economists are saying that a Brexit, no deal Brexit could potentially cause the UK economy to fall by 9%. 9% puts us straight back into a hardcore recession and with the compounding effects of what's going on in America, what's going on in the Middle East, what's slowing down in China, we are in position to have a really, really bad global recession that by a lot of economists' um, thoughts is coming and is inevitable and is going to be worse than 2008 and is going to last longer than 2008 because we didn't fix the problem in 2008. Everybody's claiming, oh, the economy in America is so strong, it's growing because Trump's in office and the deregulations and all of this and the tax breaks and all of that. Bullshit. You don't understand anything about economic trends and deregulation and the end of cycles. Trump's added like a fucking trillion dollars to the US deficit. The Fed doesn't have enough money. Like, what are we talking about here? Wall Street up and down like a goddamn roller coaster at center parks. Right? China's economy slowing down 4% growth on the economy in China last year down from was it six and a half or seven so debts increasing prices are rising economies are slowing the stock markets are up and down volatile as fuck we got a we got a um we got a single market separation deal that's coming that is by all accounts nothing but negative in the immediate to medium term and nobody can say what would happen in the long term because nobody fucking knows what's going to happen in the long term. People don't even know how to negotiate a two-year process of withdrawal from the single market. Never mind how to get your shit together to reorganize global trade deals or unilateral trade deals, right? Like the EU have just ratified a trade deal with Japan that the UK is not a part of. Oh, so that's great. Oh, but don't worry, we've got our friends in America. Well, they've just said that's not happening. There's no trade deal to be done there. So where the fuck does that leave us? 
How come nobody are asking these questions to the politicians? How come nobody's putting these motherfuckers on front street to say, you don't get another question until you answer that one? Accountability. These motherfuckers work for us. They work for us. They don't get to make autonomous decisions. They got to check with us. And the overwhelming consensus is we don't want this. You fucking lied to us. You gave us no information throughout the process. And now we don't trust you. We don't want this. But they're not listening. So we have to make them listen. And that's where action comes in. And I was listening to a recap of what's been going on in 2018 with like the Sandy Hook massacre and the women's march and, you know, the kids protesting and things like that. Shit needs to be activated. People need to be mobilized. <clears throat> you need to be outside of the Houses of Parliament every fucking day telling them we don't want this Brexit thing no more. Most of us, not most of us, because it was, um, it was you know, that was how the referendum was won, but it was one off of bullshit. And had the facts been given, I think you would have seen an overwhelming vote to remain in the EU. But that's what happens when you get misinformation and propaganda and these fucking, you know, these relationships with these data companies and these social media platforms that manipulate messages and things like that, you know. It's uh, it's a dirty, dirty game, and the only way that the day that the that the game is going to be disrupted is by organization and mobilization of the citizens. We got to get people in front of the politicians. We got to hold the journalists and the media accountable for not asking the right questions to the right people and demanding honest answers. There's very few people out there that are doing it. And I'm not a political expert. I don't know the, the, the intricacies of a lot of these deals, a, a lot of these situations, like, like an Andrew Marr does or something like that. But there are people out there that do. And they need to be front and center holding these people to account. Because if they don't, they're going to continue to do what they want to do. And in the process of all of it, fuck us. We're the ones that get fucked from this. Think about this, right? 25% of the UK population has a thousand pounds or more in their bank account. So I'm going to just say that again and let that resonate for a minute, okay? 25% of the UK population has a thousand pounds or more in their bank account. So if we do the math on that, I think last time I checked, there was like 67 or 68 million people in the UK. So what is that? That's about 17 million or something like that. 17, yeah, about, I think it's about 17 million people. So 17 million people out of 68 million people have a thousand pounds or more in their bank account. That means that the rest of them don't. That means that the rest of them 
without dipping into credit or credit cards or something like that, you know, money that's not theirs, money that they have to pay back, money that runs them into debt, you know, money that ruins their credit. That means that the rest of them couldn't survive if their engine blew up in their car or if they had a flood in their house or a fire in their kitchen or their boiler broke or, well, I don't know, something worse happened. That's it. Couldn't survive a thousand pound emergency. How is this system working for anybody? How is this system working for anybody? And how are people not screaming at the top of their fucking lungs that there is a constant and consistent injustice going on towards the majority of this population? <clears throat> and a majority of the population across the world, by the way, because if I, if I went across the pond to the States, it's something like, oh God, I saw the stat not too long ago. It's something like 35% of Americans have, uh, only 30% only of Americans have, could survive a $400 disaster. $400 in their bank account. And if a $400 emergency popped up that they had to pay for, it would wipe them out. It would wipe them out. 400 bucks or a thousand pounds would wipe them out. Can you imagine? I'm sure a lot of you can. Because it's a big fucking number of people who are in that situation. So to say that these guys are going to willy nilly make a deal that sees our economy fall by almost 10% potentially is criminal that you would plunge so much of your population into a into a into a situation that was so unknown and you're like well just take our word for it why the fuck should we take your word for anything you've not told us the truth about anything to do with Brexit and now we're supposed to listen to you about the long-term benefits. You don't know the long-term benefits because there's no proof of the long-term benefits because the, the last time we weren't in the EU was like the 1950s. Different world, man. Different world. We don't live in the world where you can isolate yourself and be successful. It's just as simple as that. So... I guess that's my New Year's rant on Brexit, the government and everything, you know, all the shit that's happening around Brexit in the UK. So um, <laughs> I don't know if you want to turn if you've probably turned the volume down in your headphones because because uh, I was a little animated there. But um, but this stuff pisses me off, man. And, you know, it's this is our future that they're fucking playing with. And nobody, nobody's doing anything about it. You know, nobody's doing anything um nobody's doing anything significant about it. They just sit there, a bunch of talking fucking heads. They just sit there and just argue back and forth. But nobody gives you, just listen. Just listen the next time you hear something about Brexit on the news. 
whether they give you any viable information or details about what your future looks like one way or another. Because if they would have come out and said to me, if they would have come out in the campaign, in the Brexit campaign, and they would have said, listen, okay, so we're going to leave the EU, and this is what we know. Bullet point it. This is what we know. It's going to be really shit for the next five years, but after that, we're going to see a growth per annum of, you know, 0.7%, 1.2%, whatever it is. But in the meantime, what we're going to be doing is we're going to, we're going to be looking to negotiate this trade deal and this trade deal and this trade deal here. And also what we're going to do is we're going to secure the borders and have, um, you know, we're going to have a uh, security apparatus in place with this country and this country because we're negotiating that separately and that's already started. Nothing, nothing has happened. So, yes, I'm sure Theresa May has put a whole bunch of hours into this, whole bunch of time into this. But the truth of the matter is she's accomplished absolutely nothing because this is not the UK's deal for the EU. This is the EU's deal to the UK that says, if you want to leave, this is a, these are the terms in which you can do it. And we're not negotiating any further. That's where they're at with it. Because ultimately they know. What the fuck can we do about it? Anyways. That's my Brexit rant. <laughs> that's my Brexit New Year rant. <sighs> right. What else have we got? Oh, yawning on the podcast. So rude. Oh, okay. So. Let's go to America. Let's, let's take a little trip to the States. Um. So, we're, not we are, they are, um, they're in the middle of a government, I say the middle, we don't know if it's the middle, they're, they're currently experiencing a government shutdown, right? And this happened before. It's happened in the past. And the consequences are never good. Okay. So... The government has been shut down because they can't agree on a budget that sees funding for Trump's wall. Trump said he will not pass anything that doesn't include money for the wall. Even though the overwhelming majority of people don't see the wall as a viable security option. And something that's going to actually solve the problem of illegal immigration. So... The winds of change are definitely blowing hard now. And you start to see Trump flustered a little bit. And all of a sudden, the wall turns into a barrier or a fence or whatever they want to call it, is what he said in a news conference the other day. And it's just like, well, if that's the case, your biggest campaign promise is a flop. You've got... Lies coming through your teeth on how well the economy is doing. You. Are now actively keeping money out of your federal federal employees. Hands. So with all of the other shit pulling out of Syria. 
John Kelly resigning. Sarah Sanders is just gone by the looks of it. I mean, she was supposed to be done uh, by the end of December, and I guess she is. But, like, zero announcements have been made about it, you know. Um, the U.S. economy is falling apart under Trump. The debt has grown. They're going to have to add more to the national debt and to raise the ceiling again. Like, I think this is the single biggest increase in a year under Trump that the deficit's ever grown. <clears throat> He's given a massive tax cut to the rich, which has not shown any benefit to the general public, the middle class, the lower class, like I said. The trade war is decimating the Midwest and the farmers, which have already had to be bailed out. Go and talk to some of those soybean farmers. Some of them are losing a hundred to two hundred thousand a month. Okay, like GM, fucking, basically shutting up shop. Like nothing is going well. Nothing is going well. And now you've got the Mueller investigation and the U.S. Uh, District Attorney's Office. Uh, you know, kind of closing in in terms of. Their, uh, their probes into Trump and Russia and the Trump organization and fraud and, and things like that. And from all accounts, everything that I'm reading, this motherfucker is in serious, serious trouble. So it's going to be interesting to see what plays out. Um, but the point is, this is affecting over 800,000 federal employees that if they don't get this shutdown done by, you know, the next couple days to kind of next couple weeks... They're not going to get a paycheck in January. So there's a real problem there. But I'm not going to dwell on Trump. Fuck that guy. Um, the last thing I'm going to say is about uh, Netflix. I want to talk about Netflix because, you know, Netflix, they came on with an absolute storm. I think with Netflix, what you've got here is a is a company that's grown so big so fast that it's really just about continuing to drive the profit up and up and up and up and up, right? And the only way they're going to do that based on their current model of monetization is by increasing their subscriber base, which means they have to go into new territories and they have to take over that market before one of their competitors like Amazon do. Um, and they have to capture that market, lock in their subscribers, and that's the only way they're going to recognize any sort of sustained growth. But at the end of the day, there is a, you know, there is a finite amount of people that are going to get Netflix and pay for it on a consistent basis. So their, their business model ultimately has a ceiling and therefore they're going to have to introduce other things like product placement and advertising and things like that. But in places where they launch a service that, you know, otherwise wouldn't have access to a service like this, they have a real responsibility as a content provider and as a technology platform, as, you know, as a company that can influence the dialogue and the discourse within a certain environment. And we've seen this recently because Netflix have pulled a segment of Hassan Minaj. Hassan Minaj is a stand-up comedian that works uh, or used to work on The Daily Show. I think he has his own Netflix thing now and maybe he's doing some other stuff. But um, he's a really funny, really smart guy. Indian, uh, 
I think Pakistani um, in in heritage. Uh, so, anyways, he released a stand-up type of segment show on Netflix called The Patriot Act. And one of the segments was criticizing um, MBS, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, who is the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. Now, Netflix is available in Saudi Arabia, and Netflix put Hassan Minhaj's show on in Saudi Arabia. Well, obviously, this is all vetted, and this is all you know, looked over and, you know, considered by the powers that be in that area and, you know, not, I'm sure, not far from the reach of Mohammed bin Salman himself. But basically, one of the segments on there was critical of MBS and they complained to Netflix and Netflix took it down. Now, this is a massive, massive problem for me because Netflix has a responsibility as a content provider and as a medium that provides such programs as stand-up comedy specials, as documentaries, you know, like Making a Murderer or The Innocent Man or, you know, whatever it may be, to allow free speech to be front and center and be tantamount to the success of the platform. Once you start focusing only on profitability, then you are compromised. You are compromised to people who can control that profitability. And if you launch in a place like Saudi Arabia and then are told subsequently that you can only show certain kind of content and you can definitely not show content that is critical of the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, what you are doing is you are encouraging censorship and relinquishing the power of free speech and the discourse of those people who are fighting against the tyrannical government that is in place in Saudi Arabia. Netflix made a massive fuck up here in my opinion, because they had a real opportunity to stand up on a global scale and say, no, there is nothing wrong with this. It's a comedic show. If it's critical, you don't like it, but that doesn't make it wrong, right? Just because you have an opinion doesn't mean your opinion is right. Just because you have an opinion doesn't mean your opinion is fact. If somebody makes a joke about somebody else and they don't like it, it is their right to be offended by it, but it is not their right to censor that opinion. That is freedom of speech. And Netflix, as a, as a proprietary platform that promotes all kinds of free speech in the form of documentaries or stand-up comedy or whatever it may be, has a responsibility to the viewers, to the subscribers, not to bend to censorship-based, influenced by authoritarian governments. And that's exactly what they've done. So in my opinion, Netflix is now nothing more than a profit machine. They're not interested in the content. They're not interested in the discourse of their artists and the people that actually use Netflix as a platform of distribution, of information, of education, of inspiration, of whatever it may be. They're not interested in that anymore. What they're interested in is boosting their subscribers by any means necessary. And if that's censorship of anything that is critical against an authoritarian regime within that territory, then they seem to be willing to do that. Can you imagine if they take all the Trump documentaries off of Netflix in America? Or they didn't do anything controversial on Netflix? If they didn't show Making a Murderer? Or they, like, can you imagine if it was just fucking, you know, friends reruns and fucking whatever game show they want to put on and you know some fluffy fucking reruns of this that and the other show 
Because if you go down this road of censorship and bending to tyrants, then that's ultimately what you will become. You will become a shell of the product you set out to make in the first place by just chasing dollar signs. And I think, again, Netflix have just made a massive, massive cock up of this where they had the opportunity to stand up as a massively powerful organization and say, no, we are supporting free speech, freedom of expression, freedom of artistic integrity, and we will not silence anything like this. And if Saudi Arabia want to shut us down in that territory, then go ahead. But they didn't do that. They said, you know what? Yeah, if it's offensive to the crown prince, we'll take it out. Make him happy. Make him happy. Add to the subjugation. Add to the censorship. Add to the level of restricted speech, movement, and ideas that you can have in that region. Bend to a government that still openly hangs people and cuts people's fucking heads off in the middle of the street on a Tuesday afternoon. Do that. Do that. Don't protect freedom of speech. Don't protect freedom of expression. Don't protect artistic integrity. Protect authoritarianism. So Netflix now, along with the fact that, you know, Facebook have been selling or allowing Netflix and Spotify into our private messages to read whatever we've been saying in private so they can use that data to build algorithms to target us with ads. They're all in the same fucking boat now. They're all in the same boat and they've got no credibility with me whatsoever. And if I hear about another one, gonna stop watching Netflix. Probably not, because if they bring a new series of Making a Murder Out, I'll probably watch that. But you know what I'm saying, right? I got some conviction about this. But I think they have a responsibility, a social responsibility to stand up against stuff like this. And this recent example with Hassan Minaj and also the fact that they were, you know, they were taking data from our private messages at the behest of Facebook. It just makes them dirty, like an, like every other fucking corporation out there. It just makes them dirty, and uh, and I think they need to do better. And I think that's kind of the, I think that's kind of the theme of the show is you know do better, just do better. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to do better and strive for it every single day. And these corporations, like individuals, have a responsibility to try to be better, try to do the right thing, because if they don't, we descend into chaos. And, you know, it truly does become a dog-eat-dog world then. And if that's the case, then the majority of us are fucked. So hopefully we'll have some accountability this year. Hopefully we'll see, you know, some more positive things happen, some trends fizzle out, some people go away. Um, but ultimately, let's let's start it. Let's start it on a positive note. Let's let's do the right thing. Let's 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 start on a high and keep it there. So that's that's just over an hour, guys. I think I'm going to peace out because the dogs are playing in the background. Wife's home now, so uh, I think I'm going to go and spend some time with the family rather than talking to you fucks. So that's episode 64. And like I said, I've got a goal to hit 100 by the end of March. So I'm going to be I'm going to be coming at you thick and fast with these shows going forward. Um, whilst at the same try time trying to trying to do all the things on my list this year to get done. So, um, yeah, hopefully by the end of this year, I will be a prolific podcasting, piano playing, Portuguese speaking, salsa dancing savage. But we'll see how the year goes. Um, I hope whatever the resolutions are, you stick to them. You've made them something that you can adhere to, something that's going to make you a better version of yourself. And, uh, 
let us know what they are. So as always, you can get us on SoundCloud. You can get us on iTunes. You can check us out on Facebook and Twitter and, uh, and let us know what you think, guys. But that's the first one of 2019 in the bag. So uh, episode 64 is a wrap. My name's Daryl. I'm your host as always. And until next time, guys, all the best. <laughs>